Whatever you do, and wherever you 
proves God made everything. Hebrews what? Three and four. Hebrews three and four. Now, I don't know how y'all do the security scripture. I'll find out. But I can sing these verses. You know, these verses qualify the whole thing. All right, let's sing Hebrews three and four. Every house is built by someone. Every house is built by someone. But me. I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me. Living for me. And the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right, somebody asked your time's up just about. What is the pleasure song? I promise the Lord, so we are ready. Fuzzy, Bible class, you have something to say? Yes, please. I forgot. I knew I forgot something. Lately, I'm forgetting a lot of things. But uh, if you need to partake of the Lord's Supper, please go right now to the little chapel if you weren't able to partake this morning, and you'll be served at this time. Uh, just a couple of reminders tonight. Remember our uh, event for Lads to Leaders after services tonight. Also, Golden Circle in the morning. We'll be going for breakfast. We'll leave on the bus at 830 and there's also some sign-up sheets in the foyer for a couple of uh, activities that are going on as well. I want us to be led in prayer and following uh, that prayer, we'll sing one verse of a song so that our teachers can go ahead and go to class first. Bow with me. 
Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the day. We're so thankful for all you do for us. Father, there are so many that we know that are sick, that are bearing, uh, they're dealing with various kinds of illnesses. And Father, we pray that you would bless them and those that are attending to their needs. Father, we're mindful of the Roland family and the death of Brian's sister, uh, Linda Furr. We pray that you would please continue to uh, bless Brian and their family as they deal with this, this loss. We pray that your hand of hope and strength and comfort would be upon them. Father, we pray that you'll bless one who's he, each one who's here tonight. Uh, may we go to our Bible classes with our, an open heart and open mind, determined and resolved that we're going to serve you in everything that we do. Go with us, and Father, always forgive us as we endeavor to put you first. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, one song. Encamped along the hills of mighty Christian soldiers, and press the banner. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul.
to see each of you tonight. Thank you for your desire to open the Word of God and spend a little time in it. And we, in the course of these Sunday evenings together, our goal has been to uh, roll up our metaphorical sleeves and spend some time digging a little deeper into the Word of God. And several of you have asked me about copies of these PowerPoints, and I will uh, uh, gladly, I haven't deliberately, I am a little forgetful at times, uh, but uh, I wanted to get a little further in uh, before I copied, but I intend to, to make multiple copies and make them available to you as well as, and I will probably do that in the next couple of weeks, and then also um, put a pad of paper back there with the copies so that those of you who want it sent to you electronically, that I will do that. I have not deliberately neglected you, I promise. Uh, but our goal has been simply to um, think about some doctrines that, of which we're familiar, some that have to do with uh, the kingdom, some that have to do with the end of time and the coming of Jesus and Judgment Day, and consider them in light of Scripture, or really consider what the Scripture says about those topics and compare that to things we may have heard, things that we have encountered, things that we may be wondering about ourselves. But before we do that, of course, I want us to take just a moment and uh, add to our prayer list. There's always, Brother Ken does a much better job with this than I do, but there's always uh, those that we want to remember um, in our prayers that are on our sick list. Of course, the Roland family that already uh, has been mentioned. And I was given a note, Sailor Smith, that's the daughter of Sonia Smith. Many of you may know her. I worked with her at the high school uh, a few years ago. Her five-year-old daughter, Sailor, is in Le Bonheur Hospital for tests, and she asked that we remember her in our prayers tonight. And of course, we're going to do that. And the Roland family, uh, along with, and there's always those who stand out in your mind because of uh, perhaps urgency or uh, a particular uh, reason that we, that you mention, in addition to a regular prayer list, um, of which there is never an end because life often brings um, those needs. Is there someone that you want to mention tonight? Uh, as yes, ma'am. Jerry Trimble. Okay. Jerry Trimble. Anyone else? Let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer as we focus our hearts um, first on behalf of these individuals and then as we get into our study. Gracious Father, we are thankful for the day that you have given us. We are thankful for your son Jesus who died on the cross for us, for the opportunity that we have to live, be forgiven of our sins, and walk in the light that is your son, to be saved by the grace and to live a, a life of faith because of his sacrifice, your love and your mercy. We are thankful for your power and your presence. And tonight we lift up Sailor Smith, the five-year-old daughter of Sonia Smith, as she is in Le Bonheur, 
with questions about her health. We pray for those doctors who are running those tests, that things might be done that would answer those questions and minister to her things that would lead her back to health. For the Roland family in this time of loss, Father, I pray you'll surround that family with your arms of mercy and grace and comfort. For Jerry Trimble and his needs at this time, Father, we know that you are the giver of all things and your will is far beyond our understanding and we put our trust and our power and our hope in your power and in your care. And Father, as we open our Bibles tonight, may we do so with hungry hearts and ready minds as we consider your truth about the coming of your Son and Judgment Day in eternity. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Tonight as we take ourselves back, we are of course in what we've designated Lesson 4, looking at some Bible truth compared to misconceptions and error concerning the end of time, the coming of Jesus, and the establishment of the kingdom. And as we do that, we uh, very briefly, uh, don't forget that if I have an idea, if I have a belief, if I construct a, a theology or just an ideology about something, though it is heavenward pointed, if there is one thing in it, if I have added something or left something out that the Bible addresses, or if I contradict the Word of God in any way, then just as surely as one hole will deflate a balloon, then that idea is deflated. And so we looked at a couple of understandings, and I don't want to go backwards here for time's sake, but I want to take us right there. As we think about what the scripture reveals about Jesus' return to earth and at his second coming, I want us to look at some passages. And we're going to look at several tonight. And again, I'm not worried about a time frame. Um, we will go as far as we can go in the time that we have and we'll study as much as we can study. But as we're thinking about what the scripture says, remember there is an idea that when Jesus comes again, he's going to set up a kingdom. We're going to actually look at that thought process a little more deeply here in just a few minutes, or perhaps it'll be next week um, on paper. But the idea is simply this, is that when Jesus comes again, he's going to establish a kingdom. There's going to be a, something called the rapture in which those who are righteous are going to be taken. There's going to be a period of seven years referred to as the tribulation. But when the dust settles on all of that, at the end of that, there's going to be a, a judgment. And then for a thousand years on earth, there will be a kingdom in which the righteous will dwell. Now, again, as I think about that, any part of that, if that contradicts Scripture, if it doesn't fit, then it cannot be something that I teach or else I become a false teacher. I cannot embrace it else I'm embracing something that does not sit with God because it contradicts his truth. So as we think about now, again, all we've been doing is considering some scriptures and noticing carefully what each of these scriptures tell us about Jesus' return to the earth at his second coming. What does the scripture say he's going to do? 
What is going to be the circumstances when Jesus comes again the second time according to Scripture? Now, um, would you read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18? You're reading for, okay, good. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which asleep in Jesus will bring, God will bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Okay, there is so much that we could stop and talk about here, but I want you to notice a couple of things that he's talking, here he's talking to Christians about Christians who have died. But notice verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Don't forget that. With the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, careful because Arisen has an idea that this verse teaches the dead are going to rise first. There's going to be a resurrection of... Uh-oh. Sorry, I got hung. There's going to be a resurrection of the unrighteous dead at a later time. Now, okay, nothing wrong with that unless it doesn't fit Scripture. Look at the language of verse 16. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Take out the 17. In fact, put your finger over it and pretend the number's not there. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. New sentence, same paragraph. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we will always be with the Lord. In the context, who is under consideration? Christians. Who is under consideration? The unrighteous dead are not the topic of conversation here or study here. You say, well, okay. Then, I, then that's viable. I can decide. That fits because we don't know when they're going to rise. Yes, we do. In John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, Jesus said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming. Hour is singular. The moment is coming. A moment in time is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. If you take all of the items out of a basket, how many items are left in the basket? Okay, now look, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic or funny, but Jesus said the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They who have done good to the resurrection of life and they who have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. According to the proclamation of Jesus himself recorded in John 5, there is coming a moment when all of the dead are going to come out of the ground. We're going to look at another verse in a minute. And there's going to be a separation there. Here in 1 Thessalonians, he's talking to those who are righteous. Now notice what he says in verse 17. 
Then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Okay, the idea there is we're going to always be with the Lord up there somewhere in the air. No, no, no. He said we're going to meet the Lord. We're going to meet the Lord with those who've gone on before us. And we're going to always be with the Lord. Where? Somewhere besides earth. Because that's what he said. Now look at 2 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 13. And again, I am not trying to sell you on a doctrine. I just want us to look at Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 3. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of, the, uh, of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that was then was being overflowed with water perished. Let me stop, stop you right there for a second. That goes back to Genesis chapter 6 and chapter 7. Now, uh, on days like today when it's rained and then the sun has come out and it's rained some more and the sun has come out or it rains, what do we often see that we sometimes stop and take pictures of and post on Facebook? Rainbows. Well, where'd the rainbow come from? And by the way, I mean, no disrespect, but I'm going to say this. Um... I had a student say to me the other day, and I have to be careful what I often say back when a student says it, but I had a student say, you know, it's a shame uh, that we can't wear T-shirts with rainbows on them anymore. Listen, and you know what I said? God has the patent on rainbows, my friends, not, the, uh, not a social group. God is the rainbow originator, and it's a symbol of something far greater than anything that I might want to promote. When that, now, so what is the rainbow a sign of? That's right. Okay, so every time, I, I didn't see one today, but every time you see a rainbow, you need to remember two things. Number one, that God flooded the earth, said he wouldn't do it again. But also, keep reading, please. Kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things should, shall be dissolved, what matter of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Did we not read in 1 Thessalonians 4 
uh, in, first, in John, he said, the hour is coming. In First Thessalonians, he said, the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. But then he says here, the, the day of the Lord, same day, will come as a thief in the night. What's going to happen there? The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works in it will be burned up. Okay, now you may discover there are a couple of, there is one particular religious group that has its own, a group of uh, uh, folks that have their own translation of scripture. And it, in this passage of scripture, the passage says, Let that the earth and all the works that are in it shall be laid bare. And there is one translation that is sometimes popular with, with uh, uh, many in the Lord's church. And I'm not going to call, I told you we weren't going to call names, that says similar things, shall be laid bare. And the idea is, just like Grandpa burned off the field or burned off the woods to get rid of ticks. Anybody ever done that? Uh, yep. Okay, the idea you burn the surface off and lay it bare for the new. And that's the idea the earth is going to be purged for the kingdom and the righteous, except, wait a minute. Uh, well, there is a translation. That's why you see that little asterisk there, because uh, that's what mine says down at the bottom. Text reads laid bare, uh, literally found. That Greek word, when used in everyday Greek language, could be used both ways could be used as burning off the surface or complete annihilation with fire. Everywhere in the New Testament that that word is used, it's always com complete destruction by fire. And if that isn't enough, look at the context. It doesn't fit to say it any other way because the elements will melt with fervent heat. And seeing that all these things will be dissolved... Now, I wouldn't suggest you do this. It's not very good for the atmosphere, uh, so they tell me. But if you want to get a good idea of what that passage teaches, if you want to illustrate that, take a styrofoam cup. You know what a styrofoam cup is, right? Get a big one. And take it out, take it to your fireplace, take it to the campfire. Have anybody ever done that? Uh, what happens when you put it in there? It melts. Well, can't. How difficult is it to dig that out and reconstitute that cup? So you're, la you're laughing, you silly thing. You can't do that because it's gone. It's been dissolved. It's melted. Folks, that's the context here. The earth and all the works, all the things that people hold so dear, all the things that many spend their lifetime building up and hanging on to, he said when the Lord comes back, with that, when you hear that shout, when that voice of the archangel, then the earth and all the things that have to do with the earth, the elements, the very elements, elements, the molecules, the things that hold us together. He said, all of that's going to be gone. All of that's going to melt. What's going to happen to us? That's our next passage. And it's not on the screen. Before we go there, we're going to look at one more passage. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15. But before we do that, I want you to notice what's on the screen. Is it a logical conclusion then that when Jesus comes on the day of judgment, the earth isn't his destination? Because 1 Thessalonians 4 says that's not his destination. The righteous are going to him. In fact, the earth will be completely destroyed by fire. 
Now, before we get to, um, it, but wait a minute, before we leave Second Peter, I suppose someone says, oh, you're, you're leaving that out because you don't want to deal with it. Uh, no. If you look at verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to the promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. See? A new heaven and a new earth. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But according to Scripture, it's not going to be the one I'm standing on now because it's melted. It's gone. There is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. What is it? I can only tell you what the Scripture says, and that's where we're going to go here in just a minute. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. And if you don't mind, read verse 24 through 26, and then I'm going to read a little because I think they swapped the mics back and forth, and I'm not sure where I'm going to stop. And then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Okay, let's think about that for just a second. That then comes the end, he shall have delivered up the kingdom. We've talked about that. Drop down to verse 35. Let's look at verse 35 and go down a little. But someone will say, is everybody there? I'm sorry, I go too fast sometimes. Verse 35, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body, uh, th that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases and to eat seed in its own body. Now, I want you to look at verse 42. Now, he repeats the same understanding in 39 and 40 and 41. But then in verse 42, watch this. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That is, there is a natural body and a Spirit, there is a spiritual body, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not the first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. Uh, the first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. It was the man of dust, so also are those, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, before I go any further, let that sink in. Let it sink in that according to the inspired pen of Paul is that if you and I are going to live with, reign with, uh, dwell with the Lord who is now spiritual, then according to this passage, when we are resurrected at that last time, when that trump sounds, when the voice of the archangel and we are raised, it's a spiritual body. It's a spiritual body and therefore, that new heaven and new earth must be a spiritual place. Well, because the physical is not anymore. Unless I discount 2 Peter 3, it's not here. And to say that it's going to be a literal, physical, doesn't fit this passage. But wait. Look at verse 50. Listen to this. Now this I say, brethren. Y'all get this. Wait. Understand. 
if I, if I embrace the idea that when the Lord returns, he's coming here. He's going to come here and he's going to stay here. And if I am righteous, I am going to have the opportunity to stay here with him for a thousand years, correct? Okay, now, that's the idea, correct? Now, if that's the idea, that verse makes no sense and we better tear it out of our Bibles because it says, the, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit cor incorruption. Wait, what? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all change in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the... Wait a minute. At the what? At the what? The last what? Isn't that when Jesus comes again? 1 Thessalonians 4, he said, The Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God. What's going to happen when you hear that trumpet? The dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Then this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality. Then shall come to pass saying uh, that is written. The saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Remember, you can't discount. I wrote John 5, 28 and 29 right there under that verse. Because Jesus said that the hour is coming that all in the grave shall hear his voice. Now, I'm not going to tell you exactly what the body of a lost person looks like in the fires of hell. Now, I can tell you what the scripture says about a place where the fire isn't quenched and the worm of corruption never dies. But I can tell you this, that passage, verse 54 or verse 53, makes it clear that when the trumpet sounds, the corrupt, the mortal will become immortal. The mortal who are saved will become spiritual, immortal beings. And those who are lost will also be immortal, but they will be forever dying. Now that's a different lesson for a different day, but understand when this happens, all of this, that trumpet, there's not a multiple trumpets. There's not trumpets that sound over a group of stages. When that trumpet sounds and the Lord returns, things are going to happen. We haven't even gotten to the verses that talk about the judgment scene. We haven't even begun to discuss this passage. Remember, we've already read in verse 24. And, and if you're sitting here saying, dude, that's a lot of stuff. That's because it is. It takes some time to digest it. Verse 24, he's, when he comes back, he's going to establish the kingdom. I mean, not a good grief. Somebody come up here and slap me, JT, if I say that. Uh, he's not coming to establish the kingdom, but he is coming to get it, receive it. Now, last week, Luther and JT mentioned uh, Mark 9-1 that we haven't even, it's not even on that screen. But Mark chapter 9, let's look at that one before we go any further. Mark chapter 9 and verse 1. Jesus, in fact, before you read Mark 9, 1, hang on a minute. And again, now look at this context. Jesus is talking in, in verse 8 or chapter 8. 
In verse 34, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now, watch what he says in verse 9, I mean, chapter 9, verse 1. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. In verse 38, he was talking about the, the kingdom. He was talking about or the, the adulterous, wicked generation. And he was talking about those willing to make a commitment to him to escape that. And he said, there are some of you standing here who will not taste death, physical death. He was talking about spiritual death. He said, don't be a part of that generation. There's some of you who will not taste physical death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. So there again, if I suggest the kingdom is yet to be, then I have to accept the logical conclusion that those disciples are still alive and waiting patiently. But folks, you know that's not true. You know it's not true. So now, as we move to another uh, series of scriptures here, uh, looking at several, I want you to think about, before we read any of those, again, I'm asking myself, what does the Bible say about what's going to happen when Jesus comes again? What's going to happen when, um, uh, on Judgment Day, when that trumpet sounds, If I begin to construct the idea of Jesus coming, there's a period of time. Does the idea of the tribulation, have you heard of it before? Not tribulation. The rapture, have you heard of it before? You know what the rapture is? The idea that when Jesus comes, it will be a silent. He will take the righteous. Literally, uh, you'll be sitting next to someone and that person will disappear. And that means you didn't make it. Now, you'll have the opportunity during that seven-year tribulation, but we're not going to get deep into that tonight. But then I'm constructing the idea that, okay, there's going to be two resurrections, the good and then the evil later. Folks, we've looked at the Scripture, and I'm bringing that up for you to simply think about this. I am not knocking people who are sincere, who, who, uh, who are very intelligent, not knocking that at all. But you, you may think this is a, a silly illustration, but I only know how to do things, and that's real simple. Have any of you seen the... I'm getting to where I'm afraid to ask this question because I'm asking it to my students, and none of them have seen the movies. Apparently, uh, I'm getting old. <laughs> none of my references make any uh, sense anymore. Uh, but uh, I knew I was getting old when I found out that Jaws was the new classic on TNT, and I went to see it when it first came out at the drive-in theater in 19 whenever, uh, yeah. But how many of you have ever seen any of the Jurassic Park movies? Surely somebody has. Okay, the last one, Jurassic World, the, what, what was about that particular dinosaur, and I have a point here, I promise, that had all of these uh, abilities they didn't know about and suddenly became this fierce creature that was actually quite deadly and dangerous and uncontrollable. And you, did, you, you listen in the plot. I'm one of those people that don't just like the, the dinosaurs and the running, screaming people, but I like actually the plot. And you listen into the background and you realize that this happened 
because they had all these gaps. They're trying to bring, they had all these gaps and so they just filled in the gaps with DNA from other things. So filled in this gap and gave this, he gave them the ability to camouflage. Oh, we didn't mean that to happen, but we just kind of filled in the gaps. Okay, long story short, get this. When I start trying to create a doctrine and I have gaps in what the Bible says and I fill in the gaps with what I think might be logical or might be okay or what I like, then I create something that doesn't fit God's picture of things. In fact, I create something that's quite out of control and quite dangerous because it causes people to be lost or misled because they accept it as truth because it sounds logical. Except it isn't logical when I open up the Bible and say, wait a minute, the dead don't rise in steps. They rise at the same time. That's what John 5 says. And if Jesus said it, anything that contradicts it is false. Yes or no? He said there were some living people, uh, JT, that would not die until they saw the kingdom. If that didn't happen, then this whole book is false, right? So it did happen. Therefore, anything that contradicts that doesn't fit. Okay? Now, if that isn't enough, let's lay some more on top. Uh, turn to Acts 17, 30 and 31. We're still asking ourselves, what happens when Jesus comes back at the second coming? Judgment day happens, okay? And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. We studied so beautifully this morning in Scripture about the resurrection of Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That was a great lesson. And as we uh, thought about that, we understand that we learned something else. That was not just the assurance of our salvation, but God said that's the assurance. If you believe that Jesus walked out of that tomb and ascended back to heaven that you read about in Acts 1 and sat down at the right hand of God as, the, the, as my Lord and, and not just my Savior, but my Lord, my authority. If you believe that tonight, then God said you can count that as a guarantee that there's going to be a, an hour in which he comes back to judge. There's going to be a time in which I'm going to judge and the guarantee is his resurrection. Okay, now 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, 10 and 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. Now wait a minute. What do he say? That we must all, there's that word all again, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Wait, wait a minute. Acts 17, uh, for the, he is appointed a time in which he will judge the world. All, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, good or bad, at the same time to receive the things that we have done. Now, if you don't care, go to Revelation 20. Go to Revelation 20. Now, I'm not, we're not going to read all of that in Matthew 25, but that is an account of the judgment 
Uh, if you start in verse 31, this is what you read. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory and all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And then you end verse 46. These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Is that a stopgap period of time or is, that the, is this the depiction of one event? Is this is one event. He will sit on his throne, gathered before the throne. We'll receive the, done, the things done in their body, good or bad. The righteous will go into life eternal, the, the wicked into everlasting punishment. This is one event. Now, in Revelation 20, and we said we're going to dig a little deeper in Revelation 20, and we, uh, we, have, we don't even have time to get the shovel out tonight. But listen to this passage. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, this is just a little side note here that I guess is neither here nor there. But of course you understand, and I can't tell you all, I know all scripture is true, but the reasoning here for mentioning the, the sea, now you understand that uh, most of the time, uh, I don't know that cremation was a thing in the, I suppose it was in many cultures, but most were buried. They were buried in the, uh, above ground tombs, buried in uh, below ground tombs. But there was also a lot who were buried at sea, burial at sea. And if you ever, I have run across folks who were concerned, who felt like that cremation, you know, maybe was, you know, not, not a cool thing. You know, I don't know about cremate because how's God going to find me if I'm dust? If I've been scattered. No, they were, they were being legit, you know, because if I'm not in the grave to be resurrected, listen, folks, listen, he was able, he said the sea going to give up the dead, which were in them. Those folks in the sea are long since dissolved. They're long since gone. Uh, it doesn't matter if I am uh, sealed tightly and I'm not trying to be cute here. But it doesn't matter if I'm sealed tightly in a, in, a con, in a steel vault in a cemetery under an expensive marble stone or if I'm scattered across 20 acres. You know, I know an individual that was scattered uh, down a third baseline on a baseball field at his request. I know another individual that so, uh, some of his remains are at Maywood. Uh, um, I, I'm thinking toward cremation myself, and I want to be put in a Folgers coffee can with a, a piece of gray duct tape that says, Hodgin, do not drink. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to do that or not. Uh, but the Lord, he said, Hades will give up. The, the, the sea will give up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades will give up the dead which were in it. Now, is that just a good dead? Or all dead? According to that passage, it's all dead. And what did he say? 
the books were open. The dead were judged out of the things. I saw the dead small and great. They were judged out of the things written in the books. And then death and Hades cast into the lake of fire. Anyone found, not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Folks, when Jesus comes again, judgment day is going to happen. Judgment day is going to happen. He's going to judge. The, the dead are going to be raised, good and bad. And the passage where Paul was talking to the righteous was for the righteous. But it didn't single out the resurrection of, of both groups because both groups are going to stand before God and be judged. So the logical conclusion is this. Now, if you disagree, tell me. From what we just read, we read four passages of Scripture. These four verses show us Judgment Day doesn't involve an extended period of time. It pictures the righteous and the unrighteous appearing at judgment together. That's either correct or it's incorrect. What do you think? Okay. That's what the Bible shows. Now, uh, and it's moving toward that time. And, of course, we've got the uh, lads to leaders kickoff tonight. We're going to dig a little deeper. So your homework is to read Revelation chapter 20, the first 10 verses. It's only got 15 verses, but read Revelation 20, the first 10. We've just read 12 through 15. And we'll, we'll overview a little bit. But let me read it to you and then we'll stop. This is an overview of the theory that we've kind of played with. Christ will come in the first phase of his return to earth called the rapture. And at this time, the righteous dead will be raised. The living saints will be changed and both will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. Then will come the marriage feast of the Lamb during which there'll be great tribulation on the earth, seven years. After the wedding, he and the bride, the church, will then complete the return to earth called the Revelation where Christ will set up his kingdom, sit on David's throne and reign from Jerusalem for a literal thousand years. That's called the millennium. That's why many a time you call that millennialism. That's the word for a thousand. Now... At the end of this millennium, Satan will be loosed for a short time and make a, a last furious effort to destroy the Lord's people in the work. This will be followed by the resurrection of the wicked dead, for the righteous will have been raised at the beginning of the thousand years. Folks, Scripture doesn't, doesn't fit that. And the judgment will occur. That, that's what we learn here. Uh, that's the idea. So far, we've already studied things that don't fit that. Uh, this idea of the, uh, the battle, Satan, that's where the battle of Armageddon comes from and, and some of those things. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But tonight we, uh, it's time for us to cease. Bow with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much that you allow us to dig into your truth. Thank you, Father, that you allow us to study and to learn and to grow so that we might help others to see what you want us to see. May we always stand upon your truth firmly and faithfully. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.